Thank you for joining us today. We are starting a new series on the book of Proverbs. I'm excited about this because Proverbs is a different book. It's way different than any other book in the Bible. Now, there's some similarities with the book of Job, for instance, um, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, but um, the book of Proverbs is, is a very unique book. And uh, some people have wondered if it's worth studying because it seems so practical and earthy. It's not as spiritual as some of the other books, so to speak. But um, it is inspired by God. And um, there's some great things that God has in store for us as we study the book of Proverbs. It lets us know that God is concerned not only with our theology, but he's concerned with our everyday life and uh, the nitty gritty nuts and bolts, things that we do and think every day. So um, let's dive into the book of Proverbs. And I just want to say that the book of Proverbs is a collection of collections of wise sayings. Mostly the work of Solomon. In fact, let's look at a few scriptures so you can see that um, uh, thumbprint throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. We see that again in, in chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, etc. Let's go to uh, 25.1 as well. These are more of the Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Okay, so uh, there are some, some other authors in the book of Proverbs. Uh, for instance, uh, let's look at 24.23. This is a section that, uh, that is introduced by this verse, and it says, these also are sayings of the wise to show partiality in judging. Um, that sh to show partiality in judging is not good. So these are sayings of the wise, not identifying who the writers are there. Um, if you go to 30 verse 1, um, the identity of this writer is given. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacob and inspired utterance. And um, so this is a man who wrote these next few verses. And then um, in 31, we have a different person, the sayings of King Lemuel. And then the very last um, epilogue, sort of, is the, uh, the acrostic of the woman of noble character. And let's, let's read that, 31, 10. A wife of noble character who can find. We're not sure who wrote this. It's a tremendous passage that be, each, each, um, verse, um, each, each verse begins with a different letter of the, Greek of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters of the Hebrew alpha, alphabet. So um, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful passage. Most of the... Uh, most of the writing in the book of Proverbs is in two-line verses. Um, the verses given to it by, um, that we have in our Bible are not always the verses that the writer intended, but uh, in many cases they are. Sometimes there are verses that are three-line verses or four-line verses, but mostly two-line verses. 
in which good and evil are contrasted, or wisdom and folly, or diligence and sloth, or purity and immorality, or other things. Take a look at verse 25.1. We believe that uh, this verse may speak not only of this section of scripture, but may give us a clue as to how the whole book of Proverbs was compiled. Let's read that verse. These are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So scholars during the reign of King Hezekiah at least compiled this section of scripture, but also we believe that they may have compiled the whole book. We don't know that for sure, but it's a very good, um, very good guess at this point. Let's look at another passage just to let us know that this wasn't all that Solomon wrote. In 1 Kings 4.32, it says that he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. And then uh, go to Ecclesiastes 12.9. This is talking about Solomon. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. So um, Solomon um, had much to draw from, and we believe that somebody um, put these, these um, Proverbs of Solomon together in a uh, unit that we have in the book of Proverbs. So with that being our uh, introduction to the book, I think the main thing that we want to do in our study of the Proverbs is not come away with knowledge about the book, but to come away having read the Proverbs and having them had them impact our lives. So let's do that. Let's actually go to the very first verse in Proverbs 1, and we'll begin to read and uh, digest what is being said in the book of Proverbs. So, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. I'd like to go back and to go through those six verses again because I think they give us um, a clue of how we should look at this book. So we know that most of the Proverbs come from Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. But look at what he says about these Proverbs. The first thing he says is that they're beneficial for gaining wisdom and instruction, understanding words of insight. So this is talking about how we think. These Proverbs are, are designed to make us think and to give us wisdom and, and, and instruction and insight, all of those things we need to live our lives. And uh, these things are going to be there for us in the book of Proverbs. Again, it won't just have to do with our relationship with God, although much of it will, 
but there'll be things in there about our relationships with one another, about even how to care for our animals, um, many just practical kinds of uh, wisdom that will be beneficial to our lives. Let's look at the next verse. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Now, behavior has to do with how we act, doesn't it? It's not so much what we're thinking, but how we're acting. Doing what is right, just, and fair. That's, that's um, I guess if you, you could put it into a, a nutshell, verses one and two have to do with the head, and verse three has to do with our feet or our hands. It's what we do. And so Proverbs is not only concerned about uh, tantalizing our thinking, but it's concerned with changing our behavior and helping us to have behavior that's pleasing to God and also fulfilling to us and helpful to us as we live our lives. Let's continue on now to verse four. Now, who is this geared to? Forgiving prudence to those who are simple. Does anybody relate to that? Knowledge and discretion to the young. So it's designed to give help to people who don't have wisdom, the simple. Some people, uh, some scholars feel that the word simple in the book of Proverbs has to do with people who are simple because of their um, rebellion. And so, you know, that would, that would apply here too, that the book of Proverbs can be a help even to those that are rebellious if they'll, if they'll listen and, and give heed. And then knowledge and discretion to the young. Some feel that the book of Proverbs was a, um, a course of study for young Jewish men as they grew up. And uh, certainly uh, the things in Proverbs can be very helpful to young people. Now look at verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. So Proverbs is not only for um, simple folk and for young, but it's for wise people to add to their learning and for the discerning even to get guidance. So this book spans the spectrum. It's, it's about the head and it's about the feet. It's about the simple and it's about the wise. And so uh, where do you fit? Probably somewhere in between all of that. And um, this book is for you and it's for me and it's for the smartest person you know and it's for the simplest person you know. It's for all of us. So let's take heed. There's much in here that we can learn. I'd like us now to go to um, verse 7. And... Uh, this is the end of what I would call the prologue to Proverbs. A prologue is um, a beginning to a book or a uh, passage. And uh, the verses 1 through 7 clearly um, fall into the category of a prologue. And this is the end verse of that. And it's really a, um, 
It's a summation of some things. It's a, uh, an important verse in terms of what we're going to be um, studying in the book of Proverbs, but it's also a beginning. This is part of it. And again, it's a, it's a two-line two verse. Um, the first line is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the second line is, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there's a, a contrast set up between the fear of the Lord and um, what fools think and how they handle wisdom and instruction. So I'd like for us to, first of all, talk about uh, the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Let's, let's get our minds around that. Um, some people have seen that phrase and there's um, a little bit of a pushback, the fear of the Lord. They're not wanting to think of God in that way, that he's somebody to be feared. Um, they like to think of God as more of a, um, a comfort and someone that comforts us, that is um, uh, caring and, and um, uh, giving and, you know, almost like a grandfather, like a Santa Claus. And so the idea of fearing the Lord is a distasteful thing to some people. Let's get our minds around that because we do need to, to answer that concern and we need to understand what Solomon intended when he said this, which by the way, these thoughts and these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. Um, Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a benefit of the fear of the Lord, if we have that in our lives, is that it gives us a foundation for wisdom. We all already read in, in chapter one, verse seven, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Those are two different words. They're very closely related. Wisdom and knowledge are very closely, closely related. And the word beginning could also be translated um, the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It, it's, the, it's what you build on. It's how you get. It's what you build wisdom on. It's what you build knowledge on. Let's look at another passage. Verse, or chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of, we're talking about the benefits of the fear of the Lord, hoping that that gives us an idea of what this is. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. That's a, that's a tremendous thing. If, if I have the fear of the Lord in, in my life, I'm going to live longer. Um, I just think of that in terms of wisdom. Um, I think People that have the fear of the Lord are wiser and they don't take uh, foolish risks. And so they live longer. It adds length to life. Let's look at another passage, Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation for your times, speaking of God. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Did you catch that? Just look at that again if you would. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Boy, I don't know about you. I want a sure foundation for my life. I want a sure foundation for for my family, for our church, for this nation, for our world. I want a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge for my life and my, my family's life and for our church's life. And the key to this is the fear of the Lord. So it, this spurs me on to want to know more, to want to dig deeper into what this fear of the Lord is all about. One more passage, 2 Samuel 23, 3 and 4. The God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, and this is um, Samuel speaking, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Let's, let's read that again. The two go together. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, do you see that word fear of God? Okay, let's go on. He is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. So the, uh, the writer of this is saying uh, that when one rules with the fear of God as the basis for their rule, that his, his rule, that, that ruler's rule is, is wonderful. It's pleasurable, it's delightful, it's refreshing. It's, it's just making me want to know more about the fear of God and the fear of the Lord. So let's look at it um, again. This time, um, let's talk about what it could be. God uses and inspires this concept with a word that undeniably means fear. He didn't say the love of God. He didn't say um, affection for God. He didn't say um, camaraderie with God. He said the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. So fear means fear. Is fear ever good? Some of us who maybe struggle with fear are saying, no, it's never good. And um, yet God uses this word. So let's, let's dive into it just a little bit. There's another phrase in scripture that conveys the same meaning and uh, conveys it in a positive way throughout scripture. And that's the phrase, tremble at my word. Let's look at it. Let's look at Isaiah 66 too. 
Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. He could have said, and who are afraid at my word. So there's this, I mean, this is the Lord speaking. The prophet Isaiah conveyed the word of the Lord, but this is the word of the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So that speaks of, what does it say to you? Great respect? Um, Let's keep looking. There's another passage in Psalm 96.9. Let's read that as well. The psalmist says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. At the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist was inspired to say, Tremble before him all the earth. Don't just think of him as Santa Claus or a, a kind grandfather, but tremble before him. Who do you tremble before? You tremble before someone whom you respect greatly, whom uh, someone who maybe has great power, someone who is greatly respected by others on this earth. I can remember standing before people that I trembled in my boots. On, On some occasions, it was my father because I knew that he had the power of discipline over me, and I trembled before him, Um, but I still loved him, and I still knew that he loved me. We need to tremble before God. We need to have the fear of the Lord in our lives so that we can have a basis for this knowledge and wisdom that God is going to portray to us through the book of Proverbs. Let's read a couple more passages. Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. You see, trembling before God can mean that we're sensitive. We're sensitive to maybe what we've done wrong. We've not hardened our hearts, but we still know when we've done wrong and we tremble before God because of that. Let's look at one more. Jeremiah 5.22. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. And so um, Jeremiah, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking for the Lord. And he says, should you not tremble? in my presence? And the answer is yes, you should. And we should. We should tremble in the presence of God and fear him. I really believe that what what God is driving at through this phrase, through these two phrases of, of the fear of the Lord and trembling in his presence and trembling at his word, 
is that he's driving at the whole thing of obedience. There needs to be a desire to obey him and a fear if we don't obey him, realizing there are consequences. Let's read Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Ah, there it is. The fear of God will keep you from sinning. And we need that in our lives. We need the fear of the Lord so we, we refrain from sinning. When we realize that we're being tempted to go a wrong direction, we stop because we know that's wrong. One more passage, Proverbs 16, 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. And so there again, we have that whole thing of the fear of the Lord is the deterrent to evil. It keeps us from sinning. Now, we read back in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of knowledge. And that's true, it is. And so um, I can understand that if one were studying theology, we're studying um, you know, the nature of God, we're studying the, his word, we're studying his law, we're studying the things that he's written. But what about just everyday life? Don't our current educators have it right by saying we need to separate God from school? We need, to, we need to keep God at church and we need to keep knowledge in school. Keep them separate. You know what God says to that? That's foolishness. That's foolishness. You might do a little historical study of education in America. How did it start? It started with a foundation of the fear of the Lord. The Bible was, was the basic book of our edu educational system. And then we branched out into other things. They had it right back then. Today we've got it wrong. The beginning or the foundation of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Does the name Blaise Pascal mean anything to you? If you're a mathematician or a physicist, you would recognize that name. He was responsible for great developments in those fields. Um, he lived a very short life. He lived from 1623 to 1662 and was key in developing uh, some key theories, particularly in the area of hydraulics when it comes to physics. And in mathematics, some things that I can't even talk about. So um, Blaise Pascal, did he keep his knowledge separate from his faith? Not at all. He's the same man who said this. Within the heart of every man, there's a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. This is a man who built his knowledge on his faith in God. One more man. 
The name is R.G. Letourneau. Probably you wouldn't recognize that name. But um, if you're driving the James River Freeway these days and you come down towards Glenstone, you've seen heavy equipment. I was in Chicago this past week and I saw heavy equipment drilling for um, bedrock to erect skyscrapers. And I saw huge equipment. Guess who designed much of that equipment? A man by the name of R.G. Letourneau. He, uh, he lived until the year 1969. And he was a devout believer. So devout that um, he, though he was a wealthy man, an engineer, he gave 90% of his, his income to the Lord's work and lived on 10%. R.G. Letourneau was known for his um, inventions. He invented much of the machinery that we see in, in uh, big building projects, both in terms of earth moving and other things today. Um, when and how did he invent these things? If you read a story or a biography of his life, you know that he was devoted to what was known as Wednesday night prayer meeting. He would go to Wednesday night prayer meeting at his church. There would be a Bible study and there would be a time of prayer. And then he would come home. And as he came home from that time of Bible study and prayer, he would get out his drawing pad and he would begin doodling. And it was in those Wednesday night doodle times that most of his inventions came. You see, the fear of the Lord was the foundation of his knowledge. He believed in God and he allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his mind and he was able to invent things that have nothing to do with God as such but have everything to do with improving the lot of mankind through roads and buildings and, and other things that involve heavy equipment. God was the foundation of his knowledge and his wisdom, the fear of the Lord. I don't know what field you're in. I don't know what you need wisdom in today, but whatever it is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, not only for Pascal and for R.G. Letourneau, but also for you and for me. I'm so grateful for that. We're gonna proceed now in the book of Proverbs based on that assumption that the fear of the Lord is the foundation for our wisdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time of getting to open the book of Proverbs. And I know we've just cracked it We've just begun, but we thank you for what's there. And as we read and as we study, would you be with us? Would you help us? Just like you did R.G. Letourneau, uh, as he developed machinery, may you develop our lives as we open this book and we read things that apply to our lives. Thank you, God, for being our foundation. We pray these things in Jesus' name.